Hey, Rachel. Hey, Brian. So how was your two weeks? Really great. Um, You know, I just feel like things are looking up in a time of great division. It's nice to see that um, someone as depraved as Lindsey Graham is like standing up for what he believes in and saying, this is this is a hill I'm going to die on. Well, I mean, because all the other stuff he's done has been really opportunistic. He was anti-Trump. Now he's pro-Trump. So you think he's finally found something that he he's found can an issue. What's it? I don't know this. What What's his issue, Rachel? <laughs> Chicken, specifically Chick-fil-A. Oh, God. He's you know how I feel up, about Chick-fil-A. Yeah. OK. Well, look, I, as you know, I'm one of the staunchest opponents of Chick-fil-A. Um, given their the staunchest. Horrendous. <laughs> that's the hill I'm going to die on is anti-Chick-fil-A. Yeah. And I was um, appalled when I heard that, you know, you and Josh share the same convictions I do, and yet you make an exception for Chick-fil-A. I don't. Josh does. <laughs> okay. And then one of my my very dear friends, Byron, who you know, uh, also said, hold on. We were having a meeting. He said, hold on. I just got to run out. I'm getting some Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, don't you dare. If you come back with Chick-fil-A, this meeting is over, as is our friendship. It's adjourned. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the ultimate nope. So why don't we talk about that and make a podcast? Uh, this yeah. is nope. Okay. The podcast. <laughs> Podcast where we shut it down. We're just a couple of New York Jews talking about the news, beating back the blues. We made a podcast and news why had to laugh so we don't cry. Come and join us for the ride. Welcome to No. Okay, Rachel, a lot to talk about, but you know what's foremost on my mind is that we are uh, up for another uh, episode of Summer Music Series. Yes, it's very exciting. So what are we going to be talking about today? This week we are going (laughs) to be doing the classic, classic hit, Abracadabra by the Steve Miller Band. Which a is true abomination. Which is a war crime that should be tried in the Hague. <laughs> yes. uh, so uh, that's a little teaser. You have to listen to the end to hear that. Um, but uh, we kind of kept it a little shorter. We only have a few segments. But um, Rachel, yeah. anything interesting going on in the Hamptons? Or you traveled this week, right? I traveled. Yeah, I was in Cape Cod last week visiting Josh's family, who we haven't seen in two years, which was really great um i also saw our cousin the other brian and his oh. lovely wife beth and they have an amazing place there and it was so good to see them and you know it was just really nice i love cape cod i'd never been there before and the weather was mostly great but it rained on friday so we went to this place called the wida pirate museum have you heard not of fam- it not familiar with their work Okay. It's named for the Wida, which is a pirate ship that went down in a storm off Cape Cod in 1717. And so Josh's cousin, Andrew was like, it's really great. It's going to rain. Like AJ will love it. And we're like, okay, sure. You know, fine. It has the only pirate treasure ever discovered (laughs) off the coast of America. And it was recovered by a team that included a young John F. Kennedy Jr. This is all like, okay, cool. Let's check it out. AJ will will be into it. Everyone will be into it. So we get the tickets and it's pouring like tropical storm. Elsa is bearing down on us like winds. You know, it's it's wild. So we ri- arrive. It's at very the it's very piratey, though. Like if you're going to visit a pirate ship, that's the way to do it. Right. Exactly. Just in the storm. So we arrive at the museum. We walk in shielding ourselves from like the rain and um, open the door. And it's like totally 
pitch black and people are like scurrying about <laughs> with flashlights and the woman behind the desk is like welcome this is the full-on pirate experience and like we couldn't see shit you Wait, know was, like, it, was it supposed to be dark or was it like there was a blackout well exactly there was a blackout i noticed like the <laughs> lights were off in reception and i was like is this the pirate experience or like is power out and they're like yes but like we have flashlights so we could see the no. exhibits and i'm that's like how often does this the, happen that's the classic where you turn around and say nope and nope, walk right which is back. what we should have done but we're just like we're here and like you know so we take out our iphones and turn on our iphone flashlights and walk around but like don't piss on my leg and tell me <laughs> it's raining this is not the real pirate did, wait, experience did you just it's quote a power Ju- outage did you just quote <laughs> judge judy <laughs> i know i think i quoted lena dunham's dad on girls oh really i think but i think yeah. he quoted judge judy <laughs> maybe he quoted judge judy. <laughs> okay in the immortal words of Judge Judy. So so we're fumbling in the dark and my mother-in-law and uh, her partner Jack are there, but we can't find them. We're bumping into treasure. We're trying to read things on the walls, describing what everything is. And it's even it gets even worse because essentially this is like the wreckage from an 18th century slave ship. But in the descriptions, they're refusing to describe it as what it is is because they don't want to like alienate people who romanticize pirates right so they're like well there's there's like this big map and it's like sugar coming from the caribbean and spices coming from (laughs) asia and captives coming from africa captives Captives, right and then there's like these chains exhibited that are used to hold the captives and i'm like no this entire (laughs) enterprise is about the captives and the captives are known as slaves. Okay. This is a glorification of criminality and very disturbing. So I was like, nope, let's get the fuck out of here. That was the nope. Right. As if the blackout wasn't enough. Right. We're in the dark. The the, the glorification of slavery is what actually (laughs) come for the blackout, stay for the glorification glorification of slavery. Okay, that's terrible. <laughs> a disaster. How could you but say your? How did you start by saying your week was pretty great? Like, well, how that could that sound? That was the one terrible? low note. That was the one low note. It was you know tropical storm Elsa. But on the on the positive note, there was one photograph of John F. Kennedy Jr. in a in swim trunks and no shirt. That's uh, he did a lot of those, but it's yeah, worth that's it. always a yeah. <laughs> that's worth it. It's worth the price of admission. <laughs> I'm sure you could Google that and see that picture. Right. <laughs> okay. Now, can we move on yeah. to the notes, please? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, Rachel, you suggested this to me, <laughs> and yeah, it was yeah. based on a podcast. And you're like, listen to this podcast, please. Yeah. I want to talk about it. And I looked at it and said, it's 90 minutes. And I don't want to be one of those assholes who says I don't have time to listen to a 90-minute podcast. But I am one of those assholes who doesn't have time to listen to a 90-minute like, podcast. And I'm like, listen to it on 3X. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. I Like, I do not have that mental capacity. So I listen to it on, like, subway rides. And then I go for an extra walk around the block to listen to it. And I'm, like, an hour, 15 minutes into it. I'm like, what is this? happening? Like, I'm so confused what's happening. And you're like, wait till the last five minutes. That's the big reveal. Yeah. And I wait for the last five minutes and 
I am more confused than ever. I, mean, I, I now see why you wanted to talk about it. Um, and I also think, just as one more preface, I know this is your segment, but like at first I was worried, like this is such an inside baseball New York media story that like, you know, 25% of our listeners are international, probably only 10 or 15% are actually in New York. Um, it's like a niche of a niche. The, this it's... is a niche of a niche. And I'm like, this is exactly what we would talk about to repel our audience. On the right. other hand, it's kind of our specialty. And I said, Rachel, like, are we worried about this? And, and you said, no, I got it covered. I can explain what happened here. So yes. Rachel, over to you. I leave myself in your capable hands. Yes. Okay. So the podcast itself is called The Cutting Room Floor, and it's hosted by this woman named Rachel Omandi, who says she's a female designer. She's a Black woman. She hasn't designed clothes in a few seasons. I think her last collection was in 2015, but she's, you know, she has a design background. So she's interviewing people in the fashion world and it's very popular among a subset of people who are super into fashion. And I used to be one of those people. Um, but as you can and tell, then, and, by then you got, and then me, you got a life, the pandemic right. happened and you got a life. Right. And I no longer am that into it. So this is the first time I have ever listened to this particular podcast, which is unfortunate because the host seems pretty smart and she's had some good guests like my bff terry agans who you oh, know we love her, very yeah. well we love terry and but this episode was a total nope on so so many levels the guest was a woman named leandra medine who had a blog called the man repeller where she'd write irreverently about being a woman who loves wearing ugly clothes but the whole thing was a little tongue-in-cheek and ridiculous because all the clothes she was wearing were from these like super elite designers and who the paid a lot of money to advertise ironically but not ironically on the website Probably eventually they paid, but at first right. it was just like, this was her wardrobe. And the whole conceit was being this renegade man repeller sort of assumes that everyone else was dressing to be like a man attractor, which is super like cis heteronormative and upholding the patriarchy, but what, whatever, you know, my point is that Leandra's writing was good. It was funny. And she was this kind of weird looking yet adorable, tiny pixie 20 something woman in these very odd clothes that she developed following in the early 2010s and i wrote about her when i was at the wall street journal oh, because she was one, yeah she oh, was one of the first that. fashion bloggers to get like front row seats at top fashion shows and she really took this blog and ran with it and built a nice size business okay so good for her then fast forward to <laughs> and she's 2020 like half, she's like half turkish half persian jew yes like, okay yeah immigrant parents yes. her yeah i think her mother is from iran her father's from turkey yeah but she she was we, born we here jews, so, we jews call iranians persians but yes persians yes right <laughs> we persia. don't want anything to do with her <laughs> they're from persia <laughs> <laughs> the Prince of Persia. <laughs> okay. So anyway, fast forward to 2020 and Leandra has this New York media company with a downtown office. She's got a few dozen employees. The whole business is driven by, as you said, advertising revenue, all these partnerships, events, merch. She's been named to Forbes's 30 under 30 list, the best which we, list. Which I've talked about, which I think is yes. the most like loathsome designation one can ever have. Yes. Ever. Right. It's, it's a badge of dishonor. She wrote a memoir called Seeking Love, Finding Overalls. So she's like, you know, she's a person out and about. She's officially a she's hashtag girl boss. She's branding herself, right? I yes. Mean, she's the, yeah. 
she's an influencer, but like roiling beneath the surface, all was not well at Man Repeller HQ. So according to various news reports, um, black employees at the company were feeling like they were not being heard, even as the company was outwardly saying that it's trying to become more inclusive, which is a problem. And then COVID hits and Leandra lays off a longtime events director, a black woman named Crystal Anderson. And by all accounts, she was doing a great job. And she was actually interviewed on this podcast for context. And I, she's the only one I wanted to hear more from. Ironically, they gave her like she got about, you know, four minutes of airtime and Leandra, the editor, got like. You know the Leandra wasn't the, the editor. Minutes. No, the 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 subject Rachel. of Leandra. Oh, Leandra. No, yeah, Leandra got like ninety minutes of the of the show, and Crystal got like four minutes. Right, right. But it, I mean, it wasn't about Crystal, but I still would have liked to give her ten minutes. Maybe, yes. You know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's give her ten minutes. <laughs> yes. So, so things came to a head um, with Man Repeller after the murder of George Floyd because Man Repeller started posting these performative, you know, content posts expressing solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, and people were like, "Really? Like." Maybe if you wanted to support the black community, you shouldn't have laid off your black employees in the middle of a pandemic that is disproportionately affecting them. And then two weeks later, amid all of this criticism, Leandra resigns as the head of Man Repeller. And soon thereafter, the entire company shuts down and Leandra then resurfaces in a substack, of course, who doesn't resurface in a substack. And she's talking about how much soul searching she's doing and, and whatever. So, okay, so here we are. We've got this podcast, which promises to be this very interesting, important conversation about race in the fashion industry between a black designer, a former designer, and a white girl boss, former girl boss, who got canceled, yeah. right? So it's interesting, provocative stuff. But it was neither interesting <laughs> nor provocative nor, in, nor in the ways nor it comprehensible. intended. Nor comprehensible. <laughs> so it's impossible for us here to do this entire conversation justice. So I recommend that if you're interested and have an hour and a half to turn your brain into mush, <laughs> you should listen to this episode yourself. I'll put a link to it in our show notes as much as I do not want to support this debacle okay so it to me like the high thirty thousand foot level view is like each of these women was trying to perform for an audience beyond the scope of their conversation instead of actually listening to each other and responding leandra seemed like she wanted to show the world that she's like been quote unquote doing the work and thinking about her role fostering a bad work envir environment but instead of owning up to any possible racial bias implicit or explicit she explains her behavior by saying she's just an equal opportunity asshole to everybody and like a terrible leader and and that it has nothing to do with racism and it just like came off as kind of like glib you know and then Rachel the host seems like she just wants to drag Leandra through the streets ringing a bell and going shame <laughs> like like Cersei Lannister in yes. Game of Thrones right and so to be fair she does not need to do that at all because Leandra was doing a great job of painting herself and Leandra was in very, very interesting because she's she speaks very well she seems introspective it's one of these things you, you sound like you're listening in on a therapy session and like yes. each sentence she says sounds reasonable but then you zoom out and think about like what is the entirety of what she just said and it 
it either makes no sense or like the context is all wrong. So it's one of the, it's almost like word play nonsense like self-referential stuff it was very hard to follow but i it's came like away a, like um a chuck close painting like from, like the, <laughs> or a pointillist like the closer no, you get <laughs> it's like sunday in the park with george yes. like i was standing right up close to the podcast and it all made sense <laughs> it made no sense it made and no- then i zoomed out and i'm like i see what's going on here okay. except i didn't see what was going on here i still have no idea okay so try okay <laughs> Okay, so like Terry Higgins has this phrase that she likes to say, she leaned into a fist, which is exactly (laughs) what she did. She leaned into a fist. And there's so many things to unpack here. The thing that most people were talking about um, right away is how Leandra, who grew up on the Upper East Side and went to a fancy private school, she tells the podcast host that she never ever realized she was rich until a few months ago and that growing <laughs> up a few months ago she's like 30 right I mean, like, like 31 <laughs> and growing up she always felt like she was on the verge of homelessness and like this is what okay you know, no, but they quoted it i looked at some of these articles they quoted it as her saying that she was almost homeless when in fact she lived on the Upper East Side and had a house in the Hamptons, right? But th- that I think was out of context. She was, was. saying, she was taught, she was saying like, I w- it was basically saying I my reality was so distorted that living in this rarefied Upper East Side thing that even though we were just like, like, very rich not very 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 rich it made me feel like i was homeless now right and i think there was also some issues with like her parents as immigrants maybe they didn't talk about money a lot or maybe there was some monetary financial anxiety in the family that was like unexpressed it seemed like there was some there was more there than she was letting on and was like again oh there was a sob story of... that she that her the 20 dollars she had couldn't get her a salad at seraphina, at seraphina. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it was all a lot you know um you know it's just kind of like reel it in girl go on a silent retreat (laughs) like less talking (laughs) more thinking right right okay but like i I don't think any of it was like that bad the real thing that i thought was terrible that i want to address which is the thing that people are not talking about nearly enough is rachel omandi's blatant anti-semitism which I feel like undermined the entire point she was trying to make. Yeah, and it was just like a little tag at the end, which was completely unnecessary. Like, let the work speak for itself. And then at the end, there's this little editorializing. And like, you have you have a clip of it, right? I mean, yeah, I have a clip. Let's let's just like play the clip. See this? This is where I'm stopping the interview. You can't write this stuff, you guys. There are so many themes at play here that I don't even know where to start. And you can tell by my awkward laugh, which is a bad habit I have when I think someone sounds ridiculous, but I'm trying to be polite. But I couldn't stomach it. I couldn't stomach another white assimilated Jewish American princess who's wildly privileged but thinks she's oppressed. The Jews were slaves too. You don't hear us complaining about it all the time. Attempting to equalize with black Americans without actually understanding what black Americans even go through today or historically or realizing the ways in which our oppression has included Jewish Americans. And no, that's not anti-Semitic. 
If I had a dime for every time a Jewish girl in fashion was like, oh my God, my nose is so big like yours. Oh my God, my Jufro, it's so nappy. At the end of the day, you guys are gonna get your nose jobs and your keratin treatments and change your last name from Ralph Lipschitz to Ralph Lauren and you will be fine. Right, so give me a little more like context analysis on that because now leading into this, Leandra had said, well, well no, it sounded to me like Leandra had said, hey, the black people are not the only ones who were slaves. Jews were slaves too. I assume she meant in Egypt 3,000 years ago in a semi-mythical <laughs> context. Yeah, and I right? was like, Brian, no, Leandra didn't say that. And so then I went back to the tape and I listened again and she's not the one who was saying that. It was cut in from like a comedy thing on YouTube, like this comedy video called Stuff White Women Say. That is, so. I mean, uh, Rachel just like undermined the entire integrity. And the whole time she's going on like, oh, this was so painful. I didn't want to, to release this. But and I recorded it three times with her and three interviews. And I feel like it's my mission to play this for people, even though it's so deeply uncomfortable for me. And then she just throws in these anti-Semitic tropes at the end. And she call it like, a, yeah, like a Jap with a nose job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the clips that we just heard, Ralph yeah. Lauren could just, Ralph Lifshitz <laughs> could just change his name to Ralph Lauren and everyone will be just fine. So, you know, the, the thing that precipitated this ridiculous diatribe is that Rachel paraphrased Toni Morrison, who famously said that racism is not Black people's problem, it's white people's problem, which I totally agree with. And then Leandra said that that's similar to how a lot of Jews view anti-Semitism, which I do think is a fair and valid comparison insofar that we all need allyship from people who are not in our own groups if we are going to fight discrimination, right? Like, Yeah, was it, I, it so was more, it was more, it, it had, then she brought in this engineer, Sebastian, who was like flabbergasted and had his own issues with what he said, which was not entirely coherent. And he sort of equated anti-Semitism with anti-racism, when in fact- Which is very different. No, anti-Semitism yeah. equals racism. So anti-Semitism, anti-racism kind of means anti-anti-Semitism. anti But I'm not gonna get into that that debate with Sebastian because I'm going to lose, right? Like I'm not going to win that debate. <laughs> he was very convincing, <laughs> but like he seemed like the voice of reason, even though like he wasn't necessarily. No. But just like everything else with this podcast, it's more than meets the eye. So there's there was also this clip, and that you said it was only tagged at the end, the anti-Semitism, and maybe you heard it after she re-edited it, but there's a clip in the introduction of the episode that says that Jews were slave holders at the founding of America. Like they were the founding. <laughs> like, either, I was like, either, really? either <laughs> I, she said it or I blacked out when I heard yeah. it. I don't know. <laughs> like were there Jews in America? There were Dutch Jews. There was, there's a Portuguese Jewish cemetery in downtown New York. I can't say for sure if they were slaveholders or not. It's possible they were, but I would say, I mean, and no amount of slaveholding is acceptable, but I would not say that it's the crux of the slavery, the, the history of enslaved people in America. Like, no, I would definitely not. not. And if you it, like, there's this whole like trope about Jews, like secretly being the puppet masters right. of the world. And part of that is saying that Jews control the slave trade. And it's this anti-Semitic rumor with no basis that's perpetuated by people like Louis Farrakhan and 
podcaster Rachel Olandi, you know? So, okay, so, so, so okay. Uh, we, so, should, we should bring this in for a landing here. Okay. We've now spent time talking about something. I hope we've intrigued people enough to consciously listen or not listen to this podcast based on our summary of it. <laughs> well, there's a little more that I want okay, to discuss. Okay, go ahead, so, yeah. So the podcast ends, and I want to bring it into the present. So she, so she says there's going to be a part two on, on Patreon. Patreon. I was like, a part a part two i could barely and even you have do to, a part one you have to pay for it on patreon <laughs> you have to pay for it yeah but it's not there it hasn't gone up yet and who knows if it ever will uh, and i'm irate about the anti-semitism and i'm also irate that this part two that i've never intended to listen to is not up and so i'm looking through and so i wanted to like say something and comment on it so i'm looking through instagram where rachel posted a video clip from the first interview she did with leandra and says in the caption i welcome critical and constructive thoughts and most of the comments i go through it and it's like omg thank you drag her this is the finest piece of journalism i've ever seen and i'm just like hell garbage journalism it is garbage piece of shit it is not, you know, so you can't interview someone and then insert your own commentary calling someone a Jewish American princess with a deceptive quote from some other with a deceptive quote from some random comedian, like posing as the, your guest, right? <laughs> so if you're going to do that, just do it to her face and capture her reaction. So I, so I posted that in the comments that she exactly what I just said, do it to her face if you're going to call her a Jap. And um, I said it was disappointing. And then some more people started to come out of the woodwork posting similar comments about her anti-Semitism. I'm not saying it was all me that I lit the fire, just like the momentum was building from like various corners of the world. And then the next day- You didn't day, start the fire. It, I didn't start the fire. The fire, fire. I just, I, the I, world I, was starting. <laughs> so <laughs> the next day she takes, oh, Rachel Amundi takes the comments down altogether. Okay, so so she's not that open to critical and constructive thoughts. And then she takes the podcast down altogether, re-edits it, and posts it without those anti-Semitic things at the beginning and the end. And so I just feel like all good journalism accounts for corrections and explains them so yeah. this is even more bullshit so um so i don't know like i'll, I'll wrap it up here i have more to say <laughs> yes we're entering but, our our two of this podcast now <laughs> about a podcast about a podcast about a blogger <laughs> that we don't recommend nobody's heard of, <laughs> nobody's heard of. <laughs> She's actually well, nice. It's the you middle know, so. of it's the middle of the summer. If we can we report to nobody. If we want yeah. to talk about this, we're going to talk about it. And if you don't so, like it, right. don't come back or skip to the summer music series. So, Leandra, stop leaning into a fist. Call us if you want to talk. We won't record it. We won't share it. We'll just give you advice. A podcast is not a therapy session. And I would say to Rachel, if you want to talk to a couple of New York Jews, you can also call us. Yeah, right? yeah. I've been called a Jap. You probably have to. I've been told to change my name to Ralph Lipschitz. <laughs> Ralph Dose. Change my name back. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, shut it down, please. So, no, no we will, no, no. Okay, okay, not. I'm going to change okay. the topic somewhat dramatically. Um, that was terrible journalism. This is, this shamelessly is called from uh, an A-head today in the Wall Street Journal that we had a whole other package uh, planned about animals, which is going to be great. But I said, stop the press, Vicky Vale. Like, we, <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about 
this topic. So I'm going to quote liberally from the A-head, so don't sue me for whatever. I'm, I'm giving a disclaimer right now. So, Rachel, you remember, I've asked this multiple times, you remember the human Uber. We covered it a few years ago in an yeah, early Yeah, it's when you episode. wear like an iPad on your face and you go to a, <laughs> you hire some that's bunch Sumner to Red, a that's, And Sumner Redstone who did Right. right. Well, he didn't wear it on his face. He just had a button that said, fuck you. Okay. Like, yes, no, and fuck you. Okay. So, this is, you remember where we recorded that one? At your apartment, right? No, we did that with the man with the mustache. At the... <laughs> oh. Okay. Inside story. Well, if you've been listening for two years, you'll know the story, but okay. So, this is a story of a <laughs> human, of a humanoid robot. <laughs> named Pepper. <laughs> and Pepper was invented and marketed, of course, by SoftBank, the, the money uh, behind... The finest. <laughs> the minds behind the money. <laughs> behind WeWork and other fiascos. So <laughs> Pepper, the humanoid robot, was introduced in 2014 by none other than the SoftBank CEO himself, the legendary Masayoshi Son. And he said, today might become a day that people 100, 200, or 300 years later would remember as a historic day. And to get the robot, consumers had to pay $2,000 plus a subscription. So it's like a Peloton. And Pepper was given a, quote, perky demeanor. And it was programmed, and this is amazing, to, to grasp human emotions. And that's like a big AI task. So after they did this, they mark, brought it to market. They released it into a wild, into the wild. And what could possibly go wrong? So one of the first <laughs> corporate buyers was a nursing home who hired Pepper to sing to its residents. Like, how is that the first use case? Like, like, like I think that's called like a, a computer, Spotify. But okay, so <laughs> the, the, the the executive of the company, Masataka Ida, said users got excited to have it early on because of its novelty, but they lost interest sooner than expected. They, she said the repertoire of exercise, oh, they did exercise too, the repertoire of exercise moves was limited and owing to mechanical errors, it sometimes took unplanned breaks in in the middle of Isn't its shift. Is that the whole point of getting a robot so that it wouldn't take, take unplanned like, breaks? Oh, yes. So they fired Pepper. <laughs> Okay. Oh my God. It's very human then. If it's <laughs> yes, it's humanoid, at least. Um, <laughs> so then another memorable case is it was hired by another company called Nisei Eco Co., which is, and I quote, a plastics manufacturer with a sideline in the funeral business. <laughs> That's a now that's a Japanese kairetsu if I've ever heard one. That's <laughs> that's a vertical integration. So they took Pepper and they clothed it in the vestments of Buddhist clergy, and they programmed it to chant Buddhist scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> but it kept breaking down during practice runs, and the funeral business manager, Osamu Funaki, said, what if it refused to operate in the middle of a ceremony? It would be such a disaster. Yeah, so, it's kind so, of a meaningful moment in people's <laughs> can lives. Can you imagine? Like, 
it's like uh jessica simpson singing on snl like if it just like the record skips like the funeral well, that was ruined. Ashley simpson, oh ashley simpson yeah, yeah yeah you're right so anyway pepper was fired for that too then because they were also selling it to consumers not just businesses one they sold as soon as they released to consumers they sold a thousand units of the entire supply and one consumer who bought it was named tsutsumu ishikawa and he says he fell in love at first sight with pepper but then after pepper arrived at his home he couldn't recognize the faces of the family members which is an advertised benefit or carry on a proper conversation and the the pepper <laughs> is supposed to because pepper is connected to the cloud it's supposed to remember the family even after it's like the battery dies or it's broken down so it was broken and he sent it in for repair and they repaired a sensor and then pepper came back and greeted him with nice to meet you which oh, was no. like like a glitch in the matrix like yeah. and mr ishikawa was like this does not work so he returned it he had said he had spent nine thousand dollars on the unit and on the subscriptions and that softbank or whoever was merchandising it would not give him a well, they need the money to give to adam newman <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> or it's a Ponzi scheme. They need the money to invest in future R&D for Pepper um, or the <laughs> marketing budget. Um, the cost of acquisition has gone through the roof. However, yes. that is not true because they are now sold on eBay for a few hundred dollars. These are the, the non-functioning versions of Pepper, which is very sad. But a select number of peppers are still in action. They are in schools teaching children, and there is a pepper-themed cafe in Tokyo called the Pepper Parlor. And there is a picture in the journal of, of, of a woman being, I guess, served by a pepper. And, <laughs> and the, the caption says, Pepper the robot tries to entertain a customer at Pepper Parlor in Tokyo, and they do not look entertained. Both Pepper and the customer look very perplexed, disturbed, and somewhat ashamed, frankly, if you look at the picture. So, Wait, what is it called? The Pepper Palace? Pepper Parlor. <laughs> well, it should be called the Pepper Grinder. <laughs> no, that's a gay hookup <laughs> spot with robots. <laughs> Okay, I have one more one more item here. So, they are now talking about deploying peppers at the Tokyo Olympics. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Way to well, represent they're really, the country. They're not, they're not letting go of pepper. Like they're desperate the, to unload the unused inventory. Even, they're not even going to have any athletes. It's going to just all be peppers. No, they want to fill the stands with pepper. And their team. <laughs> as a as a test run, SoftBank I guess owns a baseball team in in Japan, and they have SoftBank Stadium, and the stadium has a <laughs> hundred pepper cheerleaders. <laughs> what? What do these peppers look like? You haven't. Really well, I haven't described them. them. No, they're they're like the size of a child, and they're all white with kind of a creepy like eye panel, and they look exactly what you would expect, like something out of like Battlestar Galactica. Like it's okay. uh, like a, a <clears throat> primitive looking robot with a white cover, and it's short. Um, so one of the people who saw the 
Pepper cheerleaders. This is uh, Hirofi Miyato. He was watching a game on television, and he saw the Pepper cheerleaders, and he said they were in uniform, moving their arms in unison, and he was not inspired to cheer along. He said, it reminded me of a military parade in North Korea, which Mm -hmm. is exactly what you want your humanoid robots to that's what you want to think about right before your favorite game. It's a game. So, Pepper, the humanoid robot, I was rooting for you. I just think you're a nope. I just think you're, you're a nope. nope. You're a nope. And, a nope and most of Pepper. all, SoftBank. I mean, Pepper, it's not Pepper's fault, really. It's not Pepper's fault. Pepper is just doing what it was programmed to do. It's really SoftBank's fault, yet again. Yes, so, yet again, okay. investing in terrible things. That's what they do best. And not, and not giving up on them when they're obviously failures. So nope yes. to nope. SoftBank. Nope to SoftBank. Okay. <laughs> Rachel, guess what it's time for? The Summer Music Series. Here we go. We are doing Abracadabra by the Steve Miller Band. So you know how sometimes we say, like, this is a great song, but it's a terrible video, but at least they tried, and but it's just cheesy or too hard, or they tried too hard, or it's over the top, like uh, the Bonnie Tyler one, or from last year, Laura Branigan, or maybe the Bat Dance. Okay, this is not one of those songs. No, this is one of the worst songs and videos. This is a shit song, and even a worse video that they put zero effort into either of them it's um, hard to make a video that's worse than this song but they, <laughs> they did, really did right? they well they're they're equally bad because they're there's nothing worse like that <laughs> <laughs> the, the deer even it, and sometimes we say like well for its time it was good no for its time no. this was bad it, <laughs> it was, was terrible right okay it was terrible so, so before we do this let's talk about the steve biller band so rachel do you know anything about them this is one of those bands that you know a dozen songs, and uh-huh. I have no idea. Like, who is Steve? I wouldn't even recognize him if he stood up in my soup. Like, who is well, this guy? Well, it's funny because I, I, I still don't know who he is, <laughs> but I saw him live a couple of years ago. I saw um, Abracadabra actually <laughs> performed live by the Steve Miller Band at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Of course. <laughs> our, finest, Where else? our finest museum. They couldn't afford, like, at least, you know, Huey Lewis or something? Right, I know. But... <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, Steve Miller is a great guitarist. Josh and I got invited to this show by uh, one of the distillery investors that he works with. And there was this small concert at the Met celebrating this exhibition of guitars that were donated by Steve Miller. So like, you know, we're listening to them play all the classics and then Abracadabra comes on. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even know Steve Miller (laughs) was responsible for this hideousness. And I thought like the mummies were going to like come out of their sarcophagus guy and storm the stage. Oh, was it in the it temple of Dendrite? Dendri- it was right next to the temple of Dendrite. <laughs> okay. So anyway, what uh, you, that greatest hits album, 74 to 78, which was like the soundtrack of my first few years of college. Life. Like you of could life. it's the soundtrack yeah, of my life. <laughs> it sold 13 million dollars uh, of copies. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The the hits, I'll say them now. You'll you'll be like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Fly like an eagle into the river into yes. the sea. Take the money and run. Uh Jet Airliner, big old Jet Airliner, Space Cowboy, woo 
woo, uh, yeah, keep on I a mean, rocking me, a, baby. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a, so all I know about them is that they were formed in 1966 in San Francisco, and I wish I had more to say about them, but their Wikipedia page, which is normally comprehensive, is only a few paragraphs. So really? apparently nobody else knows anything about Steve Miller either. He's so <laughs> mysterious. Right, exactly. So um, the song Abracadabra, uh, was there it went to number one it was for three weeks uh and how is this possible how i always thought it was like one of his lesser hits but it was, like his, it la- was, it was his last hit and it was one of his three number one hits and and it was the last hit he ever had for good what reason does this say about <laughs> well, and pop he, music like, he what knocked is- he, out of he knocked he was knocked out by chicago's hard to say i'm sorry which to me is cheesy but is one of the best love pop songs it's ever right written. it's at least like a classic it's you a, know it's a it classic. has lyrics right. that aren't like you know about grabbing no, a, someone in a second right so um let's hear it for those of you who don't know it either you remember it and it's stuck in your head or you kind of remember it and you want to refresh or you've never heard of it and you want to know what we're talking about so here's the chorus of that song And then I have to play one other click. This is like ridiculous. It's the like guitar solo, but it's the space laser thing, um, and which I guess they thought was avant-garde then. So let's play that. So you might ask, where did the idea from this song come from? And apparently it was inspired by Diana Ross. <laughs> she deserves um, better than this. I yes, mean- and apparently, they don't go into it. They said who he was inspired because they performed together on a show called Hullabaloo. Um, <laughs> That's all we know about Steve Miller. <laughs> Right. He, was on he once was on a show <laughs> called Hullabaloo with Diana Ross. With Diana, and then he shot into and, fame. And the, there's a lyric in it that's round and round and round it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows, right? And apparently right. that's a reference to a spinning wheel on some show called The Original Amateur Hour. I'm like, that's not even an inspired lyric. That's just some shit that people say. Like, round it goes. Where it's that's like a carnival barker would say that. Like, but, I don't so, even. So it was inspired by Diana Ross on one show, but that <laughs> lyric was inspired by another show that Diana Ross was not on? Correct. <laughs> okay. I think you're beginning to piece together the fizzled to the puzzle of why this song is so random (laughs) okay keep going (laughs) okay so um not only was the song number one but it was also spent 14 weeks in the top 10 and bafflingly billboard's greatest songs of all time ranked at number 90 so it is the top 100 greatest songs of all time like like what? Like, Who? Hey Jude and Stairway to Heaven are number and one and two. Abracadabra? <laughs> I want to reach out and grab you. Yeah. 
it's a disaster. It's such, so bad. I mean, the song has four chords. It's all repetition. The lyrics are inane and offensive. I want to reach out and grab you. That's all I could rate, rhyme with abracadabra. It's like every I was listening to it. It's like every time I hear your name, I heat up like a burning, burning flame. flame. Like burning flame, I heat up full like of a des- burning flame. Burning, burning flame, flame, burning flame, full of desire. <laughs> touch me, baby. Let the fire go higher. That's brilliant. First of all, you don't want to touch <laughs> the fire. No. This a is burning basic flame physics. is the same temperature <laughs> the entire time. You don't heat up. <laughs> this is basic, like high school physics. A flame is a flame. <laughs> It doesn't get hotter if you see a hot woman. <laughs> when you doesn't touch it, it doesn't go higher. Okay, well, uh, let's move on to the video. So uh, okay. I, I don't normally give an extended quote, but I'm going to here because it's so remarkable. I don't know who wrote this Wikipedia page about the actual song, but it must have been Steve Miller himself. And I highly recommend you go and read it because this is just one paragraph of many. So here it is. The video is one of the most iconic music videos of all time and was shown alongside the birth of MTV. That's not a sentence. The language of music videos was yet to be created, and with the Abracadabra video, many aspects of the music video's visual vocabulary were pioneered in this video, setting a precedent for all videos that follow. It's true. There was a fire juggler, and we've seen fire jugglers in, like, every video that we've discussed. The main lyric, Abra, Abracadabra, I'm going to reach out and grab ya, is epitomized by a beautiful sorceress with flowing hair performed by a teenage actress-slash-model symbolizing the Abracadabra Girl. She's not symbolizing the Abracadabra Girl. She is the Abracadabra Girl. She is the Abracadabra (laughs) Okay. And she was MTV's first video vixen with the repeating image of her bewitching... Who is she? Do they name (laughs) her? No, they don't say her. No, she's nameless. She's She's the one who should be the the star of this. (laughs) With the repeating image of her bewitching stare and blowing hair, she appears to be casting a spell, directing the magical actions, encapsulating the playful, sexy spirit of this earworm of a pop song. I'll tell you what's an earworm. I had listened to these things, as you know, like 20, 25 times in preparation for this segment. And let me tell you, that song is implanted in my brain, and I want my three hours back because I just listened to this thing. You know, I have to you watch the whole You suffer for video. your art. Yes, you really... I'm committed to my art. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, enough of this nonsense. It's a complete nope. So, let's talk about what's really in this video, which is everything and nothing. It has no attempt at a plot. So, I, I, I'm at least like the ridiculous. One they it's an incoherent plot. This isn't even a plot. It, I'm just going to describe the shots because there's no attempt to explain what's going on. It's kind of like Xanadu in the roller rink, where it's just a succession of ridiculous people roller skating around a rink. So yeah. Last note before we go in. This is the ultimate copy paste video. We've been talking about this last week. White wedding, um, where they say they they have the same shots over and over. And it's just copy paste. And you wonder, is it like, did they run out of footage? Did they have to fill the space? They didn't have enough time. They didn't have to find Oh, oh, and this was shot in one day, by the way. And Steve, and that's why. And Steve Miller isn't basically isn't in it. (laughs) So he's not in it. Yeah. Well, there's like an there's like an image of him in it because he was such he was in Europe. 
Europe on a tour. So they filmed some remote shots of him. Okay, so the star, in my mind, this is my interpretation, I'm parsing this, is not the woman they mentioned, the MTV's first video vixen. It is a metal ball and a bunch of birds. Um, <laughs> yes. So it starts with this metal ball, which is like metal mesh. It's like bands of metal formed into a But isn't orb. that the Steve Miller symbol? Like, isn't No, the, that the that's bit? the horse, the like horse. <laughs> but isn't which the also horse appeared. on a... But is the horse on a ball? Okay, so you're saying the ball has representation. <laughs> but if you don't know what it is, it's meaningless. Okay. Okay. So it's like rolling around on a symbol of a, a, a like a drum symbol. And then there's a shot of like fire going in reverse. So it's like it's like sucking in because I guess it's getting hotter or less hot. And then there's the woman who I cannot name um, in like an 80s stripy dress. And she's writhing in front of a window and she's holding square uh, like stained glass square panels. And you never see these panels again. And I'm not sure what they're for. And she's just on this black and white set. So there's no attempt to make it like salt in my tears in an apartment or even like uh, uh a typical male from Tina Turner from last year that was right. on a chessboard with a seesaw, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. No, this is just on black and white. Um, so then there's a creepy magician in a cape smoking a cigarette, and he touches the cigarette and flames fly out. So I see a theme here. It's flame. Right. Yeah, so, flames. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Okay. Then there's a woman, and this is a weirdly long shot of her like throwing veils around, like draping them and transfixed by them. Like she's hypnotized by the veils that she's like, what's that called? Like when you, she's like a twirler. Like a, she's, she's in, in sorcery. She's, she's in sorcering. Sor it's <laughs> not a word. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's sorcery. <laughs> I promise you it's a word. Ensorceling. Okay. Dear listeners, look that up and please tweet us if that's a word or if it's not. Okay. Um, so she's got these things and then there's an eagle suddenly flying in the background and then it's back to the ball and the symbol and then she grabs the ball multiple times and this is the first copy paste shot and at this point I pause I'm like oh they're doing copy paste they must have run out of footage already and I pause it and they're on 30 seconds and I'm like dear god I have to watch another three and a half minutes of this because it's like a weirdly long song okay then there's two shirtless like fire stick jugglers and they're wearing these like high-waisted pants and leather straps across their torso and they're juggling the fire sticks and then there's this shot i can't even describe and i mentioned it to you earlier and i don't even know there's like two faces and they're wearing red masks but the masks are like distorted and the eyes are offset and i can't tell if it's like being artsy or if it's like a video editing mistake or like you know uh -huh. in the early days of vhs when vid images would get offset somehow yeah. like i th it looks like that but good news they don't make us look at that for long because suddenly there's an arab sheik or potentially a sorceress who may be in sorcering. <laughs> in sorceling. In sorceling for like a, a nanosecond. And she's like spreading her wings. And then the shirtless jugglers take their masks off and hold them up in a strangely long shot that's like very armpitty. Like there's, it's, it's like an armpit show. <laughs> and then like... A bird comes out of one mask and flames come out of the other. And then there's a close up. And one of the birds is this weird 
weird. Like I almost thought it was animated or a puppet, but then it looks real. It's like a fuzzy eagle, like it's an eaglet. And it's like it's like flying like an eagle. It's no, like it's a... it's not flying. It's like curdled, cuddled up on the. It comes out of the mask. Anyway, back to the okay. woman, and now she's cuddling a white rat on her shoulder. And it's I noticed that already. that was yes. really disturbing. Why? Like why? Oh, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of white rats in this video. <laughs> but, <laughs> the, but why? <laughs> I, I could understand. If you're asking why, there's a lot of whys in this video. I don't know like why. Abracadabra. It's a song about magic, right? So you think rabbits, birds, okay, silver balls, fine, sorceresses, <laughs> great, but rats. Rats. Okay, like... so it's a white rat, and then we introduce a major character. So this is like Act Two now. Uh, it's this harlequin guy like a you know like a medieval jester guy in the in the multicolor outfit but then he's got on this face mask that's just like the eye mask and it like the hamburglar has um and it looks like it's from a party supply store i would bet anything it's from a party supply store it's got like that mm. cheap elastic that could snap snap at any minute but is it the guy from self-control from the laura Brown? oh that's video? right he had that Wasn't too there, <laughs> there was right? the harlequin with a face mask maybe they put it on ebay if he there like had been ebay the set. <laughs> he's like i'm not wearing this fucking mask anymore this bullshit <laughs> so and then the magician is back and he swallows the fire sword and then guess what he pulls out of a glove as a magic trip a white I, rat, a, a rat. white rat, right? Which is confusing <laughs> because she already had the white rat, unless there's more than one of them, right? It's like it's like when um in <laughs> in that video with the what's it called, salt in my tears, when yeah. she puts out the cigarette, and like, she already has the cigarette, <laughs> the cigarette. but she takes. She right. takes I believe that's called anyway. a continuity error, yeah. which are yeah. another theme. Okay, and then the oh wait, uh, I lost track. So uh, then. The Harlequin is playing with a balloon, and he pops the balloon, and then out of the balloon comes another white bird. And suddenly, like, this is like Alfred Hitchcock, like the birds. Like, there's birds. Yeah. I'm like, if they're releasing birds all everywhere. these birds, but there's only one bird at a time, like, where did the rest of them go? Then there are some copy pastes of her dancing with the veils again and sorceling. See, proper usage. <laughs> Good SAT <laughs> word. Um, and then there's. I might be wrong. We'll there's, see. We'll then see. there's the big moment. I'm sure our listeners will correct us if we're wrong. Okay. And then there's the big moment. This is a big magic trick. The There's two Harlequins now, and they wrap her, they hold up a purple sheet, and she walks behind it, and they wrap her up in it, and they spin her around. And, and then she disappears, right? No, that's what you would think. She comes out the other side just wearing a hat, a top hat and a bow tie. <laughs> so she turns into Flashdance? Like, she, she turns into a magician. I don't know, some sort like, of like Like magician. Alex, the lead in Flashdance. Oh, know? yeah, yeah, right. So, but, but you would think she would disappear or become a flame monster or another Harlequin. No, she just comes out with a hat and a tie. Or a rat. <laughs> And then she struts around doing some kind of like Bob Fosse dance. Uh, That's a her... really surprising ending that like. But it's not the upends. ending. Then she's okay. lounging around seductively in the hat and the magician tops the wand. And then guess what appears? Another white rat. But then the white rat turns into a chicken and the chicken turns into a baby because science. <laughs> like, like, I don't this know. Is, how... This is like the hero's journey. Like the classic <laughs> story. <laughs> 
That's just the archetype of all great fiction. Yes. <laughs> um, and finally, we hit that guitar solo that I played earlier. And then there's various shots, I guess, of Steve Miller. And he's wearing a neon shirt, but it was obviously pre-recorded from some other footage. And he's got his eyes blacked out somehow. And then there's more copy-paste shots. And then they replay the magician with the cigarette and the harlequins and the fire jugglers, take, jugglers taking off their masks and showing their armpits. So it's like a reprise. We're seeing the greatest hits of the video because if it didn't leave an impression on you the first time we must remind you and it ends with just the girl putting the spinning back ball back on the symbol and then it shows it again copy paste again copy paste again fade all is right with the world so okay so the ball on the symbol i know you said it's like a symbol like a drum but do you think they wanted us to see it as a symbol like oh oh i think it might be a hi-hat because this only makes sense if you're really high (laughs) (laughs) i don't know Okay, I mean, that's a, you're being a, that's a very generous interpretation. So anyway, abracadabra. No, 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 no absolutely okay. not. Well, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, well, we didn't only... even really delve into the lyrics, but it's like, I guess we did. There's we did a little bit time for so yeah. much. There's some yeah. truly offensive lyrics in there. It's a little rapey. Yeah. The whole thing's a little rapey, yeah. too. OK, yeah. uh, let's gross. move on to the up. See the little rays of light, the little beacons of hope that got us through the week. Rachel, what do you have? Yeah, so um, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, and I think the format is well suited to celebrity memoirs because it's the actual person telling their own stories, and it just is really interesting. So my most recent experience in this genre is the singer-songwriter Liz Fair's memoir, Horror Stories, Ex- which was Exiling so great. Exiling Bill was formative. Yes, yes. I've been a fan for so long. My friend's older sister introduced us to Exile and Guyville when we were in high school I've probably listened to it like a thousand times and I always thought of her as like this cool older sister character who takes no bullshit which she very much is and she's also a brilliant writer and so insightful self-critical vulnerable and um I highly recommend it so yup to you Great. Liz yeah I'll listen to that after I listen to a few more 90 minute podcasts <laughs> about, <laughs> nothing. about nothing okay my <laughs> up goes to the texas democrats uh, yes probably, love you texas probably democrats. been following this in the news but basically the horrible governor and republicans in texas are trying to pass these voter suppression rules and the democrats have been trying out every possible way to stop it and they realized the only way to stop it was to actually flee the state leave the state <laughs> and go to <laughs> go to washington dc where the governor of texas has no jurisdiction and uh, there were shots of them on the bus from dulles like the shuttle bus and they're just going to stay there and stay put and and make their case. And uh, they're just going to try to outlast it as as much as they can. And the, and, But our federal government has to help. They're basically like, hey, guys, like, look at us. We're doing this. Pass voter rights legislation immediately. Have, federal help government us. doesn't even have to take a stance on the issue at hand. It's just they can't, you know, the governor of Texas, like literally, what, what's his name? Abbott, right? Yeah, um, Abbott, yeah. Wants Greg to like Abbott. force them to come back somehow. He wants to arrest them. He wants to arrest them. There's no extradition law with the federal government. Like that's yeah, exactly. ridiculous. So, okay, let's. Yeah. Uh, so yep, so, to the yep. Texas Democrats for truly innovative. Uh, good, good tactics. We got to, when they go high, we go low higher we go higher but <laughs> we play low if we have to okay <laughs> this has been a terrible terrible week but 
we have enjoyed making this podcast. Uh, oh, I do this in reverse order. Normally, I say if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and tell a friend in real life. But it has been a terrible week, and we have enjoyed making this podcast. Thank you for listening. This is Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. 